championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello, welcome to 4th and 5, your Lawhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Jason Chilton and Jacob Dedimore, as always. But this week, we have a special guest in lifetime Longhorn in safety and linebacker for the Texas Longhorns from 04 to 07, winning a national championship with them along the way, Mr. Drew Kelson. Drew, thank you so much for coming on. It is an honor, and it's awesome to have you here. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, I appreciate just being able to hang out with you guys uh, this evening. I don't get to do this a lot. That feeling will wane as we go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drew, I have to ask, like, of all the weeks, of all the weeks, this one? After that game, I mean, I understand it. Like, maybe maybe you have some things to air, some grievances to air after that game. I know you were there along with myself. Man, after after that game, this is the, this is the one you come on. You're like, I have some things to say. You know, it's funny. I, I do have some things to say. Um, and they probably, you know, I've read everyone's takes on it, you know, kind of the recaps and everything else. And there's some things I'm pissed about and there's some things I, I feel like I'm probably a little bit too um, maybe more realistic about, <laughs> um, but it, it is what it is. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited that you brought me on after this week because it's middle of the season and there's a, a, a lot of season left. So let's do it. I do want to ask you a few questions or we want to ask you a few questions before we get into, you know, hit everybody over the head with a bat of that Oklahoma game. The, the dusty divorce special. Yeah. Oh man. Before we give them the dusty. <laughs> I, w- I want to ask you a few questions about your time at Texas, kind of leading into Texas and, and after Texas. So, really, let's go ahead and give you that softball so you can knock it out of the park right out the bat. Sort of the, the first inning, first pitch, home run here. What was your favorite thing? <laughs> what was your favorite thing about being at Texas besides that national championship game? What were some of the memories? Some of the plays, things on and off the field, locker room moments that were just some of the things that when you think about your time at Texas pop off. You know, what's crazy is it, for me, uh, it just, it's not all the, the, the games that the things that um, the sexy stuff that everyone likes to hear about. I mean, for me, it was, um, first of all, I lost seven games in college and I remember the seven losses more than I do the wins, uh, which is, Kind of crazy, but yeah, I lost to AM twice, lost to K-State twice, lost to OU twice, and I lost to Ohio State once. I hate it. I hate it. I, I don't forget those. But yeah, the, the most, the craziest thing for me, and I think we talked about this a little bit before, is the guys that I played with were, they loved ball. They loved ball. We learned to work together. Everything that we did during that time there that led and prepared, helped us prepare to even win a championship. I was just surrounded with people who worked, who worked. And to this day, you look at like the teammates that I had, regardless of what anybody is doing right now, is they work, man. They they get after it. They understand what it's like to grind. They understand what it's like to, to, to be an underdog. They understand what it's like to be ahead. Like they, we just, you still work. You wake up and get after it. And so uh, from the leadership standpoint, the guys I played with, um, 
I mean, guys that I looked up to before I went to Texas and became my best friends and, and teammates and everything else, like you just, there's no, there's no exchange for that. There's nothing that you can exchange for that. And then, um, it, you know, as much as there's a lot of cheesy stuff that I know Mac probably catches hell for over the years, or he says in public or he says in the media, he always said the right things at the right times, even with us. And, and there's just a lot of little nuggets that he shared along the way that those are the things that really stick with you. Uh, those are the things that really, really stick with you. And, and no, it's not, you know, the, the games. I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of expect to go in, you prepare, you expect to win these games. So yeah, it was a battle with Ohio state. Yeah. We had some battles with AM. Yeah. We battled with OU, but we prepared to win. So I, I don't, see it as and I've never seen it as oh man we're, we're just fortunate that we did it like no we prepared to kick their ass so we prepared to win we prepared to battle through it so just it's not a thing that sits with me as oh man I'm so happy we won like no we fucking expected to win <laughs> we prepared to win but for me it was the way we went about it it was the preparation it was the things that happened off the field it was the things that happened in the locker room it was just the things that that um shit the things that we did in spite of ourselves uh, that's the kind of the cool thing about it is, is just uh, 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 just the takeaways are endless when it comes to that kind of thing. Well, what's funny is uh, a couple, probably a week or so ago, my wife asked me if I'd seen this 05 documentary and I, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't watched it. And she just, she, she's always getting on me because she's like, why don't you want to watch this stuff? Mind you, she was the youngest of six girls. She um, never watched football. She's nine years older than me. Like she wasn't at Texas. Like she, it, it, football is nothing to her, but uh, the industry she works in, there were a whole bunch of Texas fans. And so she hears about things from them and then asked me, have I heard a lot of times, but I really hadn't watched it. Uh, and then it was on Longhorn Network at the hotel we were, we were playing or we were, we were staying in. And I, I actually watched it the other day and it really drummed up a lot of great memories. Um, uh, some things you, I mean, some of the things I really take for granted or you forget about, but uh, between uh, VY and, and, and Rod Wright being kind of those leaders on both sides of the ball, uh, by example, showing up early, staying late, grinding, leading, telling everyone else to show up. Leaders who speak and people respond to are huge, and those are two guys who did it. And then even beyond that, I mean, I, I, the DB room, it wasn't that they were just good players. They played every special team. They were on punt team. They were on kickoff. They, I mean, Huff. Uh, Michael Griffin, Cedric Griffin, uh, uh, Aaron Ross, like all, all those guys, they were on every special team and would would not let you take their reps at practice. <laughs> so, like it really, like, it really was could, the definition of a player led team. It really was. You were going; they were going to be on the field for for every down that they possibly could, and that's just the type of leadership, man. You just that's really what builds championships. I mean, a lot of people really put it on coaches and, you know, hey, the coaches have to take over, but you need players who not only talk it, but back it up. And some of those guys aren't the most vocal guys, but they were the first and the best in reps on everything they did uh, while on campus and set an example for everyone behind them. Quick question about that. Drew, where does that leadership really make the most impact do you feel like on the other guys is it in preparation the offseason working harder to get bigger and stronger is it 
being dedicated in the film room? Is it working harder in practice? Is it if you're down and having a bad moment in the game, you pick back up because you know these guys are going to make plays and they're going to expect you to make plays? Like, Where does that leadership really lift a team, do you feel like? I think for younger guys, it, it builds some continuity and in, in expectations. Um, every young guy who comes in, I mean, when I was coming in, I think Huff was a freshman at DB. Philip Giger was a, was a guy who was getting played. And, and you just, you look at a young Huff, you look at a PGZ, you're like, oh, I'm a freshman DB. I'm coming in. Yeah, I can play over these guys. You actually get there and you're like, oh, shit, these guys work. <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys study. These guys know the playbook. These guys are the first to work out. These guys are strong. These guys are fast. These guys, they're, they're maxing out everything they naturally bring to the table every day. They bring it every day. They go hard every day. So the, the big thing is not only that you, you get some, some instant uh, humility as a young guy coming in, feeling like you're talented and watching them play which, you know, we have all these recruits who watch these games and probably think, oh, yeah, I'll come in and play. At the end of the day, when you see these guys work, when you see the guys that you think you're better than or you think you're more talented than or you think you can compete with work, it elevates your level of play. It, it makes you want to work harder. You know that at a minimum, upperclassman, experienced player, um, if you want to get playing time, at a minimum, you have to do what they're doing. At a minimum, you have to show up early. At a minimum, you got to watch the film. At a minimum, uh, you, you got to do more than – I mean, I can't say I don't want to play special teams if, if, Mike, if Michael Huff is, is on every special team. <laughs> right. You know, so it really builds not only the, the standard but the continuity of expectations. And um, those guys did it. I mean, there was, there was never a question on what was expected. And the coaches leaned on – they didn't have to preach or coach to what was necessary or what was needed to win. They pointed to the guys that were already in the room. It seemed like that team especially had the mix, the perfect mix of not only high-level, high-end, talented players, which you have to have to win a national championship, but you also have the dirty work guys that are not afraid to get into somebody, even though they may not be the most talented on the field. They do the dirty work and have no problem whatsoever getting in somebody's face if it, if it's necessary. Would that be an accurate description? Yeah, you have to have those guys who aren't afraid to be the bad guy. <laughs> whether it's whether it's the stutters of the world, whether it's the killer brews. Uh, uh, Mike Mike Griffin is Mike Griffin would would speak up and get in your face and call people out and. Um, at a at a much younger age, some of that stuff may seem like, you know, bickering or if you will, but Mike brought it every day. So if Mike got in your face, it's because you're not bringing it. Uh, and that, that just kind of went, I mean, you're going to have your quiet guys, but you got to have those guys who who back it up, who can get in your face, but they back it up by the way that they work. And we just had a nice collection of guys. Um, uh, Ahmad Hall was another guy who, you just respect it. You, you, oh, have, yeah. you have certain guys on the team who just bring it every day, regardless of the amount of downs they get. Um, yeah, man. Uh, it, it's that kind of thing that just, that, that does make the difference. So I, yeah. it has to feel weird now that you're in commercial real estate and you've seen Michael Griffin on and Michael Huff sort of 
grow into being actual adults knowing those guys from from that time like i when you see michael griffin on tv in a full suit and tie like thinking about him like that must be must be kind of weird I, I, you know it's funny it, it's it's always funny when you know someone personally you know how funny they are how much of a clown they are who they are off the screen but it's like anything. It's like you get on the field, you turn it on and they get on the screen and they put on the suit and they have to talk and, and, and handle their business and they turn it on. I mean, <laughs> we, we all have to do it, uh, but it's, it's just it's kind of it's kind of fun to know who these guys are off the uh, away from the camera. Uh, and it's not much different than who they are on the camera. It's just when the lights are on, the lights are on and they, they bring it, they prepare and uh, uh, they also have fun doing it and take pride in everything they do. That kind of goes into you having left not football in general but now that you're seeing it from the side the side of the fans the side our side our side you're now you're now a fan of the game uh you you've, you've kind of stepped past being a player and now you're now you're a fan at this point you've gone to the games you sat with us i've always found it funny watching players on twitter have to go from you know playing in the games to Going through the pains of fanhood like like we do, <laughs> what has that been like for you? You know, it's actually been fun. I, I must say this, man. We have a fan base that, whether they know about the X's and O's, whether they know about strength and conditioning, whether they really understand the recruiting, people are into it. People care about it. Um, people want to know about it. I mean, I, I read some of the things that, that are posted or just – just after every game, I mean, there's probably half a dozen minimum writers who are probably more than that, who have watched our games three times before the coaches have probably the next day and have full write-ups on offense, defense, special teams, and thousands of people reading it first thing in the morning on Sunday. And yes, Longhorn fans, Drew Kelson is active on the message board, so he sees the stuff you post just saying, watch it. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't offend me at all because I, I appreciate the passion. I don't know. I don't have to agree with everything, but I, I do appreciate um, how much time, energy it, it as a player, as a former player, it makes me really feel like, OK, first of all, fans know more than we give them credit for. They really do. Um, <laughs> they see things a lot of times before coaches see them. Uh, in a weird, very weird way, whether it's recruiting, whether it's guys who just aren't bringing it. Now, do they know why the coaches are not playing a certain guy or moving things around? No, but right. um, some things are just blatant, and we all see it, and the fan base sees it. So when when there's groaning about a guy not performing, when there's when there's when people are pissed off about you know DBs or the O line or the D line or people not bringing it, there's I mean, sometimes I wish the coaches would read the message for us, <laughs> like, whether it's analysis oh, or the feedback, because honestly, <laughs> what, a, what a rabbit hole that would be <laughs> that, 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 that will definitely be a rabbit hole. But at the same time, it's um, uh, I, I cannot say our fan base is off base when it comes to their expectations or, or what they want to see from the team. And uh, that's probably a part that I didn't take or didn't really get into or really see as much as a player. But now. Um, I, I really do respect our fan base and everything that they uh, just put into this program, the energy into it, uh, showing up and the, whether it be on the message reports or on Saturdays, 
um, they care. And it, it's it, Texas is a special place, and it's not just the players that make it that way. There are, play, there are fans who are in the mix of it when we suck, and there are fans who are in the mix of it <laughs> down into the weeds when we're great. So uh, if there's anybody just as dedicated or more than the players, uh, our fans have every right to be pissed when things don't turn out the way they expect. Well, speaking of that, let's uh, talk about Saturday now because, uh, oh boy, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I, I don't want to harp too much on the – I mean, the results sucked. It was a kick to the nuts like nobody's business. But there there were some good things that actually did come out of that game. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to hit on first was, man, I really loved how poised Casey Thompson was and how he rebounded – from a, a substandard performance against TCU. Same goes for Xavier Worthy, despite the one big mistake he made. Um, it was really awesome to see this offense uh, really step up and make the plays that they made in that game, I thought, to uh, you know get things going the way they did before things fell apart. Yeah, I mean, I guess you said the ultimate result sucked. But yeah, probably the biggest positive you can take away is that this offense, you know, started doing some things that hadn't been there for a lot of the years, specifically, you know, Casey Thompson hitting on numerous deep balls, you know, showing as much poise as you can expect for the amount of duress that he took, you know, particularly in the second half. And yes, yeah, seeing that you've got, you knew you had a superstar in Bijan Robinson. And I think you've kind of now confirmed that you've got another superstar young though he may be in Xavier Worthy and, you know, <laughs> Big 12 titles a long way away, but, you know, Big Big 12 titles have been won on, you know, <laughs> on a similar framework of, you know, two superstars and some guys who can do their jobs. And so, you know, the high level talent that we saw on display in a couple of positions and just the you know the game plan at least in the first half was masterful so looking down the stretch of the season and the picture we're laying out for recruits on the offensive side of the ball is pretty bright and that that was <laughs> that was certainly uh, the <laughs> the happy <laughs> the happy place for me coming out of that game was reflecting on that you know what's what's funny is i i i'm not as high First of all, I think from a recruiting standpoint, we, we did scheme up some things that that took advantage of, you know, deep ball downs and opportunities to hit balls downfield. And we we made the most of it. I will say I probably left the game not as high on the offense as everyone else in some ways. And not because they didn't show up and keep us in that game, um, but because the issues we have are the issues we're still going to have. Um, but I wasn't as low on the defense as probably everyone else is because whenever you really look back at that first half, defense and special teams are the two that really gave us the cushion we had. I mean, the offense didn't just run away. I mean, <laughs> yes, the one play to Worthy, boom, Worthy stood out. What I was looking for, I mean, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop after that first quarter. I was waiting for the offense to either – I was I was wondering is, is Casey gonna throw a turnover here because he's been he's been known to throw a few balls that are that are iffy or is there gonna be a a fumble or some sort of negative play in the first half or even in the second half really 
And there just wasn't that big issue, like a big fumble or interception that wasn't on special teams. Like obviously, obviously there was the Xavier worthy fumble on special teams, but again, I, as your, to your point, Casey Thompson was, I mean, that's the game he was waiting to play in. And boy, did he step up? Did he step up into that role of the guy whose dad went to Oklahoma? He was supposed to go to Oklahoma, even enrolled there for a little bit. And instead he just put the screws to Oklahoma there. Unfortunately, when Sar- Steve Sarkeesian tried to slow things down in the second half to sort of grind things out with the run game, that's when Oklahoma was able to pin their ears back. Once Oklahoma started to not get in their own heads with the misdirections and the play actions and the RPOs that Steve Sarkeesian was throwing at them, and they were able to throw pin their ears back, our offensive line was just wasn't there to pick that up. They, they were able to take advantage of the weaknesses we had on the offensive tackles. And even when Steve Sarkeesian tried to, you know, slow them down with some screens, they were just, they were just too quick. Yeah. I wanted to echo what Drew was saying about not feeling, especially after I watched the game again. Okay. And a lot of times when you, re, when you know the result and you go back and rewatch and you watch it without the emotion of real time, you can see some things that are happening that, make you kind of rethink how you felt after the game and that affected my thoughts on the defense i'm not saying the defense played well in the second half because they didn't but i didn't play well in the first half no they didn't (laughs) what they did in the first half was they were able to be opportunistic and get a couple of turnovers and a couple of key stops uh, down in the red zone that slowed oklahoma down but they never actually stopped Oklahoma. But I think the biggest thing in the second half that affected them was the fact that they were on the field so much on a hot day in the in the Cotton Bowl where the temperatures are in the mid-90s. And you had a, a day where Texas, even in the first half, when Texas jumped out to that big lead, Texas was not possessing the ball and staying on the field for any length of time. All of their scores were coming in pretty quick succession, if you remember, because of the 75-yarder to Xavier Worthy, the block punt. They score a play later. Um, after the interception by Rattler, Texas scored in three plays. Um, their longest drive of the first half was an 80-yard touchdown drive that didn't even take two minutes. You know, Texas's defense was on the field the vast majority of the day, and I really think, especially in the second half, if they really just started to wear out because in the second half, it's not that OU really did anything differently defensively. They just started, starting in the, about the mid-second quarter, started gradually winning more and more battles at the line of scrimmage, and it started turning into Texas not being able to, to move the ball and having to punt and not being able to keep the ball, and that allowed OU to stay on the field. So while the defense obviously has issues, I think a big reason why they were so poor, especially in the second half, was they were just exhausted. You also factor in uh, some of the guys up front going out in that game. Some of them came back, but Jacoby Jones didn't come back after the first quarter, and that was key to my mind because he's one of the better run defenders on the defensive line. It, it it all just kind of piled up on them. And in the second half, I, I really think they were just exhausted. Yeah, sort of the Texas Tech I catch point two there. 
I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that, that's basically what I mean. What, we were playing with house money after the first half. I mean, we scored four touchdowns in less than 10 plays based on punt block, fumbles, turnovers. I mean, you have, I mean, so we hadn't even started running our offense, really. Like, I mean, we, we, we got up. I wanna, our, our long. I want to say we had a total of maybe 15 plays tops for the four touchdowns. And, and that, that's not a normal game. Like, that's – you can't – not saying they should have come back, but that's just – you don't – you just don't plan for that. Like, you just can't assume that's how the game's going to continue to go. Oh, we're kicking their ass. Are we really kicking their ass? Or are they making mistakes? They're making mistakes. Like, we got to take advantage of the opportunities we have because they're just not going to continue to make mistakes this way. And – yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, they, this, OU had two drives in the second half. They were like nine plays apiece. They ended up in field goals. Like, the defense was was rallying. Now, there are some plays, and this is a bend but don't break defense. And the thing that pisses me off about it, have guys out there that give you a chance to not fucking break. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to bend but not break, you can't give up 66-yard touchdowns. Um, you can't just be able to throw the ball up in the air when the quarterback's under the rest and he comes down with it. Twice. Like, that's breaking. That's breaking. Otherwise, w- we got pressure on. Otherwise, we, we we did the things that you expect this defense to do, but you can't miss tackles. Um, I, I hate to call out players, but you can't miss tackles um, that are – you can't dive at people's ankles and toes and shit the whole game. Like, you have to just man up, go body up, and make sure you secure a tackle. Give yourself a chance to play the next play. This defense, I don't love it because we don't get a lot of pressure all the time. Like, there's some things I just don't love about it. I feel like our D-line is, like, schemed into it enough to to make an impact. But if it's supposed to be bend but not break, you got to make sure guys are securing tackles so it doesn't break. And we broke at times, multiple times. I'm just big yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And from my from my rewatch, trying to be as emotionless as possible, I was less angry at uh, Pete Kwiatkowski after a rewatch than I was. But man, yeah, there were some just individual failures that are really tough to swallow. And you know, some of them came from guys where you wonder where's the where's the immediate replacement <laughs> like how do you if, if you if you just say dude you're you're benched for that who's next and that, and that might be the you know the most disheartening thing is you know some of those failures can be attributed to fatigue but you know some of those we've seen from guys you know kind of week after week and the question comes up how does this team get better this week gets Oklahoma state and down the stretch so one of the things that I mean I've said last week was I'm not a big fan of the three man you know three man front especially with the state of Texas and the big man big man in Texas I think it it makes it so that your defensive line is more reading than they are reacting they're not able to pin their ears back and go forward in Pekwikowski's defense you're relying a lot on the linebackers here to really make those reads and and be the cleanup and be the playmakers. And as you found out in the offseason and how they attacked the transfer portal, they are not comfortable with the linebackers they have in this room. 
And also the safeties play a huge part in this defense, especially in run support when you're playing too high. One thing that's important in every defense is the middle of that field. Drew, in the best teams you played on, who was the nose? Who was like the defensive tackle, the middle linebacker, and the safety? <laughs> well, in the best teams I played on, uh, you, you know, the the best D tackle I would say was was probably between. I mean, it's probably anchored by Rod Wright um, and just that 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 crew. Um, if, if nothing else, those guys. Um, I mean, there was just a unit that got things done. I mean. And then the middle linebacker and the safety. Middle linebacker, <laughs> as much as I love Rashard Bobino, um, one of one of the guys. I mean, Aaron Aaron <laughs> uh, Aaron Harris was just a guy um, mm-hmm. who who yeah. as he uh, he became he became a really good leader for us at, at linebacker. Uh, not just making guys sure guys are lined up. He just did his job, man. Uh, he was physical. He he did everything he was supposed to do on the field. Then at at DB. I love Mike Griffin, man. I mean, yes, we had our, our Thorpe winners and everything else. I love Huff, but Mike, uh, between special teams, between coverage, between stealing reps from from walk-on DBs, because he's like, you don't need these reps in practice. Like these are my reps. <laughs> like <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike G would go line up against Jordan Shipley. Like Mike, Mike, Mike G was one of my favorite players to watch practice and play um, because he was going to go hard. I mean, he was going to steal your reps. If you, if you didn't step up, he was going to jump in. If, if, and so he, he was just a guy who uh, was a leader. He was physical. He, he did a lot of the little things, but it, it, it always showed up. So on that team, so that was the best team is you had those three guys right down the center, the worst teams, probably missing one of those three positions, one of that free strong safety, middle linebacker, or defensive tackle, right? That's what Texas is missing right here. They don't have that solid middle, and especially in a defense that is so reliant on the middle guys right there, it's killer. And you've seen it in not only the run game, which has been atrocious, atrocious, but the passing game as well. You can't rely on the defensive backs, especially the safeties and the linebackers to either make the right reads or to make the tackles. And you saw that on uh, specifically, really not even just the play of Kayla Williams, first touchdown, that 65 yard touchdown on fourth down, but the play before that where they weren't able to take down who was Eric gray on a third and nine. And he was able to make it a fourth and a half half yard. And so that's the reason you've been having so much trouble on third down and short and fourth down and short, basically making it so that, I mean, I don't know what, what are we right now on fourth downs in terms of percentage? It's, it's atrocious. I can't even imagine, but that's been a big issue is, is not having that one guy and drew as, as a guy who has played, who went from safety to linebacker and linebacker to safety. What is it right now that is going through DeMarvian Overshone's head? You're in probably a significantly interesting spot having been in a similar situation. What is it like going from safety to linebacker that makes it so difficult to make the correct decision? Because he's either, he's hit or miss right now. He's either absolutely destroying somebody or hitting the wrong hole. You know, 
I, I go back and forth on this with him because he really is feast or famine, but you just can't, you don't want to take the gov. You don't want to put a governor on him, right? Like you just don't want to slow him down. You want to teach him to play fast and sound at his speed. Uh, if a guy like that starts thinking too much, um, you really take away the upside of what he brings on every other play. So you just want to coach cleaning it up in him. Um, I mean, in a different way, because Killebrew wasn't as fast and wasn't, you know, that this athletic. But damn, you had to get on Killebrew a lot. It's like, dude, he's on the sideline. Just push him out. Like, you don't need to <laughs> kick his ass when he's five yards out of bounds. Like, uh, it's certain things like you rather tell a guy or teach a guy to play the way he plays, but scale it back in a way that's sound than, than, than hold back. But he hasn't even been my biggest frustration. Yeah, you know, honestly, he played such a great game on Saturday. He was by far the best defensive player on that field. And he didn't always make the tackle when he got there. But I honestly thought as far as reading and reacting and making the right decision, he might have had his best game of the season on Saturday. Oh, no, I'm just I'm just picking on him because we have Drew Kelson here. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the game. The game moves fast. At that level, but the way this defense is set up, it's set up for him to fly around, and, and the D line eats up a lot of the blocks, and he he gets to fly around. So it, it is different for him because he he does get to play clean a lot. Um, but the only time I see him really make mistakes when it's not just missing the tackle, it's when he's frozen and he can't maximize his speed or his athleticism to to get to the play. So Drew and Jason, what is the issue right now with this defense? What is it the players? Is there's there need to be a change in the players, the scheme, the way they're going about attacking teams? What is it that needs to change or be fixed? Uh, I mean, I, I would say me having last played Sandlot Ball and uh, <laughs> Drew having last won a national championship, I would throw a couple specific questions at Drew about that. And starting out with the defensive line, I, you know, we, we've seen some guys that don't seem like they're playing to even what we've seen from them in the past. And does this scheme, I think you referenced it a little bit earlier, but do you think this scheme is asking them to do too much reading, reacting, you know, locking up first and then trying to get off a guy and make a play versus attacking a gap, you know, attacking a upfield in the way we saw you doing quite a bit? And do you think that is maybe leading to some, you know, cascading issues when they're not able to be playmakers as much as they could be. And then the guys behind are not taking advantage of whatever traffic jams they're able to create. I'll use two examples popped in my head. One was Sergio Kendall. And, you know, why would you have a guy like that dropping into a zone versus getting after <laughs> the quarterback? The other one is look at OU's D-line. Just look at the two teams, the difference between their D-line and ours. There's no single play where you feel like they're just trying to hold up a block and hold up a gap and two gap and just hold their position. They pass, rush, run, a run play, it doesn't matter. They're attacking. Like, they are getting after it. They go one speed every play, and everyone knows that speed, and you have to play to that speed. Our guys aren't playing to that speed every play. And so when – a team can predict, oh, on this down, I expect them to come after us. But on these downs, I don't expect them to attack. At some point, like, and I, I get the scheme. I get why we do it the way we do it. But 
some guys are just built to go forward and kick ass. And you got to unleash that. Like, you got to just let it go, whether that's three guys on the line or four or you bring in an extra guy. Like, sometimes you have to let guys get going and put the pressure on and get after somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I, you know, was just feeling the fear in the second half. You know, I'm just like, oh, God, we're going to hand it to Bijan. That should be a happy moment. But I was afraid, and it played out multiple times. He's going to get hit four yards in the backfield because this guy is going to shoot a gap, cross somebody's face, but he's attacking. And, you know, there are advantages to, you know, holding a block, two gapping, cleaning up, and trying to limit the damage. But just taking the fight to the offense and kind of putting them on the back foot versus giving them the initiative, I I feel like really takes, you know, a, a pretty big bullet out of your gun especially when you don't have, you don't seem to have those elite playmakers from an attacking, tackling, finishing standpoint on the second, third level. You have those players. We have some of those guys who disrupt. And honestly, you don't want to see Alfred Collins playing every down. You just don't. I saw him toss the left tackle one play and go make a play. But there's another play I saw him run across the field. It wasn't that he just jumped on top of the tackle. When you see a guy that big, that fast, hop back up and just jog back to the other side of the field and ready for the next play, teams do not want to see guys like that every down of a game. They want you to sub him out. Guys like that, you have to get to a point where you just don't have to take him out of the game because they know they have to deal with him. There's certain players that play every down for OU, certain players that play every down for TCU, certain players you just, even if they're tired, you just like, how do I know he's going to turn it on this play or not? The fact that he's on the field means enough. And we got to keep those kind of guys on the field as much as possible. We can't give them breaks. We just can't give them breaks. There's too much stuff on film that just looks, it scares you. Because any given down, they can just disrupt something. Guys like that, we need to keep on the field. You know, one thing I do want to give a little bit of credit to Pete Kwiatkowski over is, and this coincides with giving credit to Lincoln Riley. You know, Lincoln Riley made that quarterback switch in the second quarter. He said at halftime uh, to the ABC sideline reporter, he said it was because of the two turnovers that Spencer Rattler uh, had, one of which I think was absolutely his fault. The other one I don't necessarily think was. But I think that there was another reason for him making that switch. I believe it was not just the turnovers – I believe it was the fact that Texas and the defensive scheme they were running was actually getting pressure on Spencer Rattler in the first half. And they were messing him up in the backfield. And I think part of the reason that that Lincoln Riley, and I gave him full credit for pulling the trigger on this move, you know, towards the end of the second quarter of this game, one of the reasons he pulled the trigger on that move was because he thought that that freshman, Caleb Williams, and his athleticism and mobility would be able to escape the pressure that Texas was bringing, and it worked. Now, he got lucky as absolute hell on about four or five plays from the time he came in until the end of that game. He really did. Te- I mean, I I was re- recounting this uh, with my father about I went over a sequence of about five plays over the course of three or four possessions that were this close to going Texas's way, and every one of them went OU's way. And if they had gone the other way, just one of them, 
Texas probably wins that football game. So Texas got very unlucky, especially in that second half. But that quarterback change that Lincoln Riley made was a result of the pressure that Texas brought in the first half that was working, and the mobility of Caleb Williams helped negate it. So we can talk about you know a lot of things in this game, like the offensive line, the you know the second half run game, the more we could, we could talk about this defense all day long. Honestly, in the end, the end of this and games like this, and probably Drew White, you know, I, I feel the same way. I hate losing, and after every one of these type of games, like even the Arkansas game, I can think about five to 15 plays like you're talking about Jacob, where if it doesn't go that way, it's different. What if, what if Marcus Washington's foot is in bounds? What if, what if, what if, what if uh, Brooks's knee doesn't hit the ground a nanosecond before Deshaun Jameson strips him of that ball? What if the two shotgun snaps that deflected off of Kayla Williams body don't hop right back up into his hands? What if the pass that he throws as he's getting sacked in the third quarter doesn't deflect straight up and back over his head to their tight end and instead deflects to the inside to two oncoming Texas defenders? You know, there was it, it was insane to see the amount of luck that got that OU had in that second half, but they also made their own luck. Right. So Again, there are 15 plays that, and the reason I, I was so hesitant to watch this game, and and I and I did a bare, I did a skim of it. I couldn't sleep after that game. I would wake up at the night and be like, just thinking about, okay, well, what if, you know, what if this happened? What you know, what if his foot was just at one inch this way? It completely changes the game. And, and same thing with Arkansas. What if, what if Keaton Crawford's foot is just in bounds? Like that completely changes the game. So. We could talk about it, and it it always comes down to those one of those fifteen plays goes goes Texas way. It's a completely different ball game. So, speaking of that, I couldn't sleep after that game. Drew, you've lived games that were close. I you know, thinking about some of the scores, they the only game that wasn't a possession a possession game was a 05 game. One that wasn't crazy close was that 05 game. How how do you how in the world do you change from that game from the Texas OU game all the hype and all the importance that is on that game and the highs and the lows that come with it to go into the next week how do you sleep <laughs> how do you focus what is it like as a player going from that game to the next the funny thing about watching film and really about watching this game is, I mean, Jacob, you just said a lot of it. You, you're closer than, it, than you realize. So you're a few plays away. You're a few unlucky plays away. You're an inch away on a sack. You're a bad call away from, um, I mean, you're just so close. You realize how close. Or no calls from the refs <laughs> at all. Oh, <laughs> when you realize how close you are, and, and whether it's realistic or not, I mean, there's a player I've seen, uh, a DB I've seen miss. I, I don't know if I've seen him make a sound tackle in the last several weeks. Um, <laughs> and he's missed so many tackles. I just, they finally pulled him. And I'm still like, I, I'm t- I, 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 I cannot watch. He just play, he puts bad ball on film. You want to know the sad part is, is I can think of about three DBs right now that fit that description. <laughs> no, nah, this, this, this one, this, this one, this one, 
So I'll say 25, I don't necessarily love the way he tackles or goes about it, but he's made some tackles opportune and like, oh, shit, it's close, but okay, he got it done, right? But this other guy, man, um, it's like you're diving at ankles, you're diving at toes, and the play is 10 yards behind you, and you're turning around like, what happened? It's like, this happens how many times a game? Like, change it up, something. And I don't know if you're not confident in being physical, you're not confident in bringing your body and bringing your, you know, with it, but... Does he have long hair? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. No, Does he? okay, we're know. not, we're not, okay, I was thinking... Uh, uh, might be talking uh, about number 14, but, you know, might be no, talking. No, 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 no. I'm not even talking about him. I'd almost rather see 14 get back out there with the way this other guy is just – it's the way he goes about tackling that I just don't like because he's he's blind. He doesn't even know he's missing it when he's missing it. He doesn't make any physical tackles, and the tackles he does make is because he's diving at ankles and somebody trips over him. <sighs> um, so it's 14 times two is – Yeah, that's that's the next number. Uh, <laughs> that's the exact next number I was about to – to shoot out i can't i can't i can't watch <laughs> I, I, I can't watch i'd much rather watch a guy like agent zero play fast and trying to fly through and mess somebody up than uh someone who's just you know going at ankles and, and toes and just just completely not composed yep. um and that that 66 yard run as much as there were multiple guys who had chances it's like he was right there Mm-hmm. make a sound tackle and that wasn't the only one and that hasn't been the only one no, in the last couple of weeks not at all uh, i mean i saw it against rice <laughs> i mean so it's it's been frustrating to watch that part of it at the same time these same guys go into the film it looked it's like i was this close coach i was in position and sometimes coaches and players are like well as long as they're in position you have a chance and and that's really how you bounce out of these weeks is just you realize you're in position as bad as some of these misses are you you just you convince yourself, hey, we got to clean it up because we're in position to make plays. We just have to make it. And you know, it's interesting because I guess one of the positives I'm taking out of this game is everything I read about how the guys were in the locker room, uh, and I heard some of their interviews after the game. I've read some of what they said. There really was, despite the result, there really was. It seemed to be in the locker room a a feeling of look. We think we sh- we 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 obviously think we should have won that game, and it sucks that we lost. But that was an undefeated number six team in the country, and we were this close to knocking them off. And it almost seemed like they 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 had a positive feeling despite the loss. And I do think that that can be a good thing going forward. You know, for me personally, on one hand, it kind of pisses me off that they weren't pissed off. But at the same time, the guys who were having those discussions and those interviews, it's like, this guy's a baller when he has a space. This guy balled. Yeah. Like, the when the ballers are stepping up and have that type of mentality and have that, they're being leaders for their team. And so for them to be positive, for them to see the upside, uh, you, you got to love that. You got to appreciate that. And um, I, I think this week against Oklahoma State, you know, Oklahoma State kind of feels like TCU to me, where you just never know with this game. Uh, you never know how we're going to respond. I mean, these guys always come prepared to play. But um, one thing I know they haven't seen yet this year is a, a, a passing game that's going to test them. Uh, they've had a really good defensive output this year in general. But um, 
I really think we'll be able to stretch them with or without uh, Jordan Whittington. So, so, so I, I do expect us this week to, to, I mean, we knew OU's D line was going to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a known thing and we didn't know how we were going to deal with it, but we knew they were going to be disruptive. I, I just don't see the same thing this week. Um, and, and, and this week I do think we'll be able to, um, kind of balance our game plan a bit more uh, rushing and passing and, and probably stretch them a bit more than they've been stretched this year. Well, I was going to say, anybody who's watched Oklahoma State this year, they do have a salty defense. They've done a good job, especially on third downs. They've done a good job uh, handling running games. But this is not an explosive team by any stretch. And I believe Drew is right on point. They have not played an offense yet this year that – would remotely qualify as explosive. And that's kind of what makes this match interesting to me on Saturday. This Oklahoma State offense is, it's a little different in that it doesn't have that one special guy at running back. It doesn't have that one special guy at wide receiver. And even the quarterback, it's different. It's not that that pocket passer type player. It's a guy who can hurt you with his feet. Drew, having played against Oklahoma State, well, I guess it's going to be home this game. What is it like going up against that What's up? Jason? I was saying, having having played a DKR repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you know what's funny is Oklahoma State was that one team that I mean, we we were up against the wall against. We were four and zero against, but we were up against the wall against them. Just in general, I, I, I respect that team because of the way that they, you know, you have to prepare for them, especially on special teams. Uh, Mike Mike Gundy has always had his team just you knew you could not go to sleep on special teams with them um and that's not just kick coverage it's 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 the punt team it's they always have something schemed up and if they see a weakness they they take advantage of it Uh, and i think that's always a kind of undervalued thing with them but uh just in general um and and this isn't one of those you know hey everyone's you know texas is everyone's super bowl but Oklahoma State is legitimately one of those teams. They don't have, they don't often have head-to-head battles with Texas for recruits. These are guys that Texas is not looking at. These are guys that are that are you know too undersized for 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 linebacker or you know too undersized for for safety. Like there's always something, and these guys come in with. I mean, they come to prove a point. And a lot of these guys we know. A lot of these guys we've seen, and the players respect. I definitely think. Just especially over the last 10 years, Oklahoma State's teams, they, they've become just more strong from a defensive standpoint, too, over the last few years, uh, just in short term. So I, I really think balancing out the way they approach on things on defense, they, they go lighter at linebacker generally now, uh, more so than, than most teams do. But these guys know how to fit. These guys are willing. You know, they spin safeties down to linebacker all the time. Uh, they fly around and they're disruptive on the line. Yeah, so let's let's get into this offense here and, and talk about some of these players here. It, everybody knows that the quarterback is the center of an offense. What are our thoughts on Spencer Sanders? As this is Texas's third time facing him, the first time he scared the hell out of Texas, the second time Texas scared the hell out of him. He's as dangerous as he is inconsistent. What are y'all's thoughts on what? Texas can throw at Spencer Sanders and what he will throw at Texas. I think he's regressed as a passer from his freshman year until now. He 
if you can take away his first read, he panics and starts to get happy feet and starts to move around. And when that happens, he has a tendency to give you the ball. So he's a guy that if you can pressure him and keep him from escaping, he'll, you'll either get sacks or, or get turnovers because he just, he, for whatever reason, just has not improved at seeing the field and, and being able to go through his progressions to try and find open receivers. Yeah, I, I would say, first of all, I always thought that the center was the center of the offense. But yeah, the, <laughs> the, 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 quarterback is, the quarterback is definitely a key player. And yeah, it's, at times it seemed like uh, Spencer Sanders, for the more old school uh, Longhorn fans, seemed like he's on the, the James Brown development plan where he's getting a little worse and a little less dangerous every year. But yeah, he, he's still a guy that can hurt you with his legs. And it seems like he's, you know, hurting teams that might hurt Texas with his legs more than his arm this year. And the, the biggest thing that scares me about facing him was watching how many times, you know, he's not a, he, he's a good athlete. He's not the pure athlete. I don't think that Caleb Williams is, but Caleb Williams didn't have to make miraculous plays to make 20 yard scrambles. He had to run through a six yard wide hole because we did not maintain anything resembling a rush lane. So that's one of the big things I think with him. Yeah, take his first route away, bring pressure on him, but make it disciplined so he doesn't have an easy escape route to get you for 10, 15 yards. I really think that's the key to the game is just corralling him. He's going to, based on what I've seen, he's going to make his mistakes. Uh, He's going to try to press. He's going to try to push. um, But uh, we just got to corral him and can't give up the big play. I mean, this defense is designed to not do that. Didn't show up in the last week and, and do that when it really mattered. But he, he wants to give the ball away. He, he wants to, to take some chances on things that, that just won't open. And I don't know what it is. It just doesn't feel like Oklahoma State is scheming guys open as much as they used to. He's having to do a little bit more work for it than he he's had to in the past. And that's really what's made it tough. Well, and the reason behind that is probably they don't have one of those guys. They don't. They don't have a Des Bryant. They don't have. They lost LD Brown this year. They don't have Chuba Hubbard. They don't. This year they are having Jalen Warren, who is a grad transfer from Utah State, as their running back, and he's he's a guy who is kind of like what we saw from Texas Tech's running backs. There, he's probably a little better. And then at wide receivers, they really have one big player in Tate Martin. He's he's elusive wide receiver, a uh, senior transfer. They also have Brennan Presley as a speedster, that sophomore wide receiver there. Beyond that, they don't have, you know, they don't have a stoner. They don't have, oh, what was his name from last year? Why can't I not remember his name? Uh, Tylen Wallace. They, they, they don't have those big players. What they do have, though, is, is those strong three in the front. They're guards. Very good, strong interior on the offensive line. The supporting cast around Spencer Sanders. Josh Sills, 2020 first team, all Big 12 returns. Your center, you have a seventh-year senior out of Miami, Ohio, Danny Godlevsky. And then the right guard is Hunter Woodard, who has 17 starts. Tackles are a little are a little shaky. So, so that supporting cast, how do you attack them? you got to stop their run game first, bottom line, because that is the 
focus of their offense this year. Um, you met, I mean, you talked about LD Brown being hurt, but as you said, they've had Warren step up very nicely this year uh, in that run game. It's not a dynamic home run hitting run game, but what it is is a grind you into the dirt kind of run game that if you don't find a way to slow it down, will just wear your ass out. And they've done that to multiple teams this year already. They did it uh, to Boise State up in Boise. Uh, they did it to Baylor where, you know, I mean, you people can, can poo-poo Baylor all they want, but they do have a pretty solid defense this year. Uh, and they just wore, they just wore Baylor down and eventually just pulled away from him in the fourth quarter. You know, that this is a team in Oklahoma State that, we, you know, I give credit to Mike Gundy for this. You know, he's had so much, so many dynamic offenses in his time at Oklahoma State. This year, he doesn't have those dynamic playmakers, so he's adjusted his game plan, and he's willing to just grind teams down because he knows he has a defense that can slow other teams down on their side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I feel like this is a game, you know, we talked about Spencer Sanders and his willingness and sometimes eagerness to give you the ball. And if we're up 17 and he starts pressing, you know, it can become a blowout. But, it, you know, if the game's tight and, you know, if you're seeing them continue to get those four, five, six-yard runs, is this a game where you'd prefer Texas to force the issue more? Thinking about the defensive line, taking a more attacking mentality and maybe from the overall, you know, scheme formation of the defense, do you try to play a little more single high, especially when you're not facing a murderer's row of wide receivers and, you know, try to bring extra pressure or try to have another guy in the box to limit that stuff and not let them get on the eight, nine, 10 play drives that have kind of been their bread and butter this year. Yeah. I, I feel though, <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny because there's, you know, they just had a bye week. And I think naturally we all assume like, hey, you know, bye weeks are valuable. And hey, Notre Dame is about to go through a six-game stretch, by the way, where every team who plays them has a bye week before playing them. That's so, insane. Oh, my <laughs> that's God. That's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, as, as much as I think the bye week can be valuable, this is only their second road game. So – they haven't traveled. Uh, they played close and you know close games. Everyone's been in the game. This is a big game for them. And as far as I know, our folks have been showing up, and hopefully they show up again. But this is only their second road game. It, the weather should be perfect. But I just I I do think they're going to get stretched a bit more than than they have been uh, defensively. And this isn't me watering them down, but I do feel as though their running game, I don't feel as threatened by it any more than I did with Tech. And I, I, I actually felt good about the way we, we played and stood up against Tech as far as the run game goes. But the whole bye week thing against Texas, I don't feel like it gets people up to where they're ready to play and bring it or that we're going to miss something. I really feel more as they, they may be a bit too confident after seeing us come off a loss after seeing some of what we put on film. And the one thing I've noticed about when we put something bad on film, minus just some of the tackling issues with some specific players, is we, we do happen to clean things up. Uh, we do happen to find a way to, um, I mean, our offensive line prior to last week, which went against an elite defensive line, honestly, yeah. um, had, had been showing up, had been showing up, had been working in unison, had been cohesive, 
have been creating the space. So I, I just, it's hard for me to, after this one game, really discount what we can do across the offensive line uh, against these guys and, and what that can open up both in the running game and the passing game. And if, if we can just hold up literally slightly longer than we did against OU, slightly longer than we did against OU, does much more with Bijan and does allows Casey to even do a bit more probably with his feet that he just simply couldn't do the past week. I think one of the key matchups for the Texas defense uh, versus this Oklahoma State offense is going to be up front, obviously, in the trenches. But I think you're going to have to take away the their, where they had their strength, which is the interior offensive line. Those three guys versus our middle the middle of our offense. And I already went through and I said, middle of the defense is missing. Yeah. Andre Coburn isn't doing it. Brockermeyer is, is a little limited. And then our, our safeties are just not it this year. So you're going to have to figure out a way to t- attack them. And where they are vulnerable is those offensive tackles. Now we're also where you don't have great players as those defensive ends. Like, you know, you lost a Jacoby Jones, Ray Thornton got hurt. He's, he's going to be hobbled. And beyond that, it's it's a little bit of, you know, you have Baron Sorrell and Bush. <laughs> but do, do you have do you have Baron Sorrell? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm starting to wonder considering we didn't see him on the field the last two games. And I'm that, no, he, he was out there. Oh, uh, really? Uh, wow. I guess I missed him on Saturday. He wasn't out there against TCU. I know that. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that's going to be the spot where if, if you can figure something out against those tackles, you know, you're going to stretch the interior, allowing you to actually attack that run game. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I understand what Pete Kwiatkowski does with his scheme. I get what he's trying to do. But right now, he just doesn't really have the personnel to run that thing fully. And just like I d- completely disagree with running a three-man front against Oklahoma and how they do offense, unless it's a long-yarded situation. When you're coming up against this Oklahoma State team and what they like to do offensively, three-man fronts need to go out the window unless it's third and double digits because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You need to have four-man fronts so that you can try and and maintain your integrity from a pass-rushing lane standpoint as well as trying to set the edges. Because this this defense right now, just especially at the linebacker position, just doesn't have the depth that that Pete Kwiatkowski needs to be able to run some of these three-man fronts. So let's get on to the defense here of Oklahoma State's defense. Jim Knowles, again, this is very much Texas Tech. Jim Knowles runs a Havoc defense, a defense that tries to create Havoc. He has a lot of motion up front, uses the linebackers and the defensive line to stunt, to cross, brings blitzes from every different angle he can possibly bring to try to get to your quarterback and make them get some happy feet so that your defensive backs don't have to work as hard. They do a very good job, and even missing Trace Ford on that defensive end spot, and him being maybe beyond, you know, Will McDonald, one of the best pass rushers, and you know, I guess there's Nick Bonito, but one of the best pass rushers in the Big Twelve. They still have guys like Colin Oliver, the freshman who stepped up, Tyler Lacey on the other side of that, and then even in the middle, Israel Antwine has been a monster up front for them. And then also Malcolm Rodriguez, the 2019-2020 second team All-Big 12, that front has been very good against the run and the pass. 
What are y'all's thoughts about attacking the front seven of Oklahoma State? You kind of compared them to to Texas Tech in that, you know, attacking blitz everybody, create chaos. And I think, you know, in our pre-Texas Tech podcast, it was like, hit them where they ain't, go, you know, go wide, hit them deep. And we did a great job of that against Tech. And I think you kind of do more or less the same thing <laughs> against Oklahoma State. And while, you know, you, you mentioned some names of, of quality players on their front, I think if you if you were picking a front four from Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the first three picks are going to be Oklahoma guys, if not the first four. So they, they probably don't have as much of an option to create penetration and chaos against you just rushing four as Oklahoma did when they did it. So, you know, I would like to see some of the blitz beaters, constraint plays, and things that we ripped Oklahoma with in the first half be part of this game. Because if they have to bring those guys downhill immediately on mugs, planned blitzes, or just your job is to attack the first move that you see, we've got, you know, schemes and playmakers to make them pay for that. And I hope that we see that, you know, for four quarters if necessary against Oklahoma State instead of just seeing it for two, as we did against OU. That's kind of what I, I want to see the same thing. I mean, not to completely echo, but I'm sitting here thinking that this is one of those games where you're one Xavier-worthy missed tackle away from a touchdown. They have some decisions to make. They're going to bring it. We got to beat them outside. They're going to bring it. We, we have to get those RPO plays underneath. And I know we don't have Whittington, but I mean – Bring them, suck, suck them in, and, and throw the ball right, right behind them. I mean, it's it really the, – the plays are there. I think the concepts and the schemes are there. We just need time to execute and dial it up at the right time. You know, I was disappointed we didn't see him more in the game and the game plan against Oklahoma, but I think this is the perfect game now, especially with Jordan Whittington out, to see a decent amount of Keelan Robinson in this game with B. John Robinson on the field at the same time, whether he's lining up in the slot or all due respect to Roshan Johnson, who I love to death. I am a Roshan Johnson stan, but maybe lining up Keelan and Bijan in the backfield together and having that just ridiculously killer speed uh, out there to threaten that Oklahoma State defense. Because, you know, I said this after the Texas, after the, uh, after the Rice and Texas Tech games, Keelan Robinson has juice. And as much as I love Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson has juice that Roshan just doesn't have. And you need his home run hitting ability on the field to threaten a defense. Yeah, and I, I would say personal and scheme-wise, I think there's a lot you can do, and I think a lot we've seen done with both Bijan and, and Roshan in the backfield. But whatever combination you pick, I think seeing more two-back backfields split where you could go either direction you know especially when you've got Rojan and Bichon you know both of those Bichon now he's a <laughs> now he's a terrier or something <laughs> sorry Heisman candidate I'm gonna compare you to a fluffy dog <laughs> but they they can block for each other or you put Bichon and and Keelan Robinson out there you've got two potential home run hitters I think you know schematically and to make a defense kind of second guess what they're keying on you know, two back backfields, especially now that Whittington's gone and you've got fewer advantages lining up a traditional 11 personnel set. I'd, I'd like to see some more of that 
against a defense that wants to just, you know, fly up the middle and create chaos, I think could be a really good way to go. Yeah, I was interested to see if this week, when they try to grind out long drives, to use the pass more as a substitute for the run when teams are keying on the run. This front seven maybe not be as good, may not be as good as Oklahoma, but they're definitely going to take some of what Oklahoma did on tape to attack Texas. And if if that does succeed, I want to see what they didn't do against Oklahoma, which is instead of just handing it off to B. John Robinson when the guy is going to get hit four yards in the backfield, RPO it or screen it out or throw a quick slant to get that five yards so you're still on track, you're still on schedule. Perhaps we can see that this week, especially with two guys out of the backfield. Uh, it might be difficult with Jordan Whittington out because he was your guy to do that. But uh, I, I do also want to see uh, how how you can tag that front seven. Now going to the secondary here, you got the cornerbacks. You got two very good cornerbacks, even three really. But the senior Jarek Bernard Converse, he's good. He's a good cornerback. He's not the best guy out there in the Big 12, but he's very good. He's a very solid cornerback. They tried Kansas State and Baylor have tried him multiple times, and he stood the test every single time. You have the grad transfer out of Missouri, and Christian Holmes, who's also very solid, hasn't been tested quite a lot, or as much as I would expect him. Uh, you know, you always see the guy who is actually the the worst cornerback be tested most, and if he can stand up to it, then he's you know it's pretty good for your defense usually. <laughs> the, the Anthony Brown theorem, exactly. So. Those cornerbacks are pretty good. Now, where Oklahoma State is really suffering this year is that safety position. They lost Trey Sterling this year. Uh, he's out for the year, I believe. Outside of Tanner McAllister, who's, an, who's a good, solid player, there's not much there. So knowing that and you know, having seen what y'all have watched of Oklahoma State, how are you attacking the secondary here? Personally, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good a cornerback is. I saw Alabama, and for years I saw Clemson run some routes. You have to scheme your best players open. Everyone's just not running a fly. I mean, they're just not running straight down the field and just burning the guy who's on the other side. I mean, we, we evaluate cornerbacks based on those types of routes and those types of things. But, yeah, Baylor and some of these other schools may attack in that way, and it makes these cornerbacks look great. At the end of the day, if you're not scheming guys open, if you're not finding ways to get them into space, whether underneath or down the field in a way where they're not looking for it, I mean, yeah, then that, that those cornerbacks being talented is going to matter. We should be putting ourselves in a position where it doesn't matter how talented the other cornerback is because we're, we're motioning. We're, we're running routes that are a bit unorthodox. We're finding ways to 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 make plays look identical to, I mean, we're using RPOs, but we're just doing things that that schemes your best players wide open. And they're fast enough to where you can't catch them when they're wide open. And if we're doing that, I think we're fine. If we're, if we're literally trying to, Hey, Xavier worthy going as fast as he can against another guy, th that's not the way we're going to win anyway. It was a perfect timing this week with, you know, Jordan Whittington unfortunately being hurt and being out for a while that uh, we had multiple Joshua Moore sightings for the first time this season, making plays, getting open, and Casey Thompson actually being able to hit him. So, you know, I mean, this 
you you talk about scheming these best players it, it open. You know, Joshua Moore kind of it appeared on the scene. Marcus Washington, I thought, had a pretty solid game on Saturday, just even though, you know, the one chance he had to, had to make a big play catching the ball, he wasn't able to get that foot down, unfortunately. But you're seeing him show up more and more over the last two to three games, even though it's been limited. So now he's going to get the opportunity uh, to really make some plays here. But also, imagine, if you will, you have Bijan Robinson and <laughs> Keelan Robinson in a shotgun split back set. And on the snap, they both shoot out into the flats with two wide receivers blocking on one side, one wide receiver blocking on the other. And imagine the fear in a defense where Casey Thompson can say, I'm either going to throw it to the best running back in the country, or I'm going to turn and throw it to this speed demon who if you don't get him down on the first try, he's going to run away from you. The thought of that just really pleases me in a way that's really hard to comprehend. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad this webcam is above your waist. It's in, in my mind. Then I was going to say, my, in my mind's eye, and I, no, I don't, I don't want to. Oh uh, no, I, 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 I'm not sure Keelan Robinson is the pass catcher we want him or would need him to be to really execute something like that. Um, and that isn't because I've seen several attempts, but of the few I have seen. Um, it's just he's not a natural, but like Bijan is a natural pass catcher. Uh, he, he is, and that's why I uh, want him Keelan, to just throw a little swing pass to him. I'm not saying something hard. <laughs> so, so, so hopefully, you know, they can find ways to get him open. But hopefully, he's open and confident in in, in playing that role and just finding more ways to get the ball. Yeah, I, I I like his speed. I I would like to see a little more of Kilvante Dix in this game, especially since you're down. You know. You're you're down Whittington, unfortunately. You know a guy that can hit home runs for you, but you know something we've seen a ton in the college and pro game. It seems like this year, and a real great way to stress safeties that may not be up to par is just that over route. And you saw finally, and it seems like it's been a, a tough route for uh, for Thompson to hit this year, but he finally got you know, worthy on one. But I think for the you know the the tying touchdown or what what brought us close to it, um, yeah, sending a speed guy across the field where you're messing with assignments and you're relying on a safety on the other side to either you recognize that come up and stop it, or if he's deep, you probably get the linebacker beat. I mean, I think that could be a good way to attack this defense. I mean, again, you've got to hold up, and if they are bringing pressure, you've got to get it picked up. But that's another way that could be a great avenue of attack, I feel like, this week, is kind of hitting some of those over-crossing routes where you're really forcing a safety to really be a playmaker to stop it. Or you could just hit Xavier Worthy for 270 yards on nine attempts and two touchdowns. Or that. Yeah, that 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 could also work potentially. <laughs> so, what are the keys overall for this offense to attack this defense? Just just give me that one big key. This is what Texas needs to do to win this game. You know, I, it's been for me. It's been the same key. It's been for the last uh, for basically every week this season. If Texas holds up up front, they're going to win the ball game. It's been that way. Every game, every game they've held up on the offensive line, especially, they've won. Every game where they've broken down on the offensive line, they've lost. It is it it really has come down to that for Texas this year. Regard honestly, regardless of what the defense has done. 
Yeah. And I, yeah, for me, I'll, I'll kind of echo that and, and dive a little bit deeper. I mean, you saw particularly against OU, some guys just get whipped in one-on-one matchups. You know, Carrick got run by before he's out of yeah, his stance man, did he have a two, 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 two or three times, <laughs> but he also committed the sin we've seen, you know, maybe a dozen times this year of like drifting inside to help somebody that need help and giving up a free rusher. <laughs> like, and it, we're probably going to have a reshuffled line again, personnel wise this week. So just being assignment sound in your protections, I feel like is going to be huge this week. If we're not giving up completely clean rushers, we've got the playmakers to make plays in the back end. And now we've got a quarterback that maybe is more competent hitting deep, but you cannot give up completely free rushers because you did not just execute, you know what your assignment was and execute it. it I mean, it's, it's really hard to, to not start with the O-line because we, we know what they open up. But but, I, but I'll say we know everyone's going to start with Bijan. Um, and, of course, the O-line, and they're going to key on Bijan Robinson. They're confident. Hey, and- time out, Drew. Can you not, I mean, just, just the clicking of the pen, can we, it'll, be pay, it'll be picked up. Like this? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Got it. Uh, no, 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 no. I, Drew, I think... Drew Kelson's picks to click this week. Hey. <laughs> no, I'm always clicking my pen. Uh, no, sorry about that. No, I, I really think we, we need to open it up uh, from, a, from a passing standpoint. And, and, of course, you need time to do that. But similar to last week, everyone in the stadium knew or expected Bijan will be keyed on, and we didn't go to him off in the first half. We use him as a decoy multiple times, and I really don't expect this week to, to be any different. So uh, just having a bit more time uh, to, to throw the ball, having some things already built in that free some guys up, I, I think we have to go into every game picking our spots on when we feed him. We know he can explode when he gets it, but we, we have to make sure we get some other guys involved to keep him honest in order to do that. Before we leave out here, I have two things I want to hit up. Uh, the first is a hypothesis that I've had, or more of a question. Is Texas more on the Oklahoma side, uh, you know, track where the offense is elite and they just need the defense to catch up, or more on the Texas Tech side where the offense is just so high power that the defense will never be able to catch up? Where do y'all think Texas stands in that under Steve Sarkeesian. It's weird, but I think our defense is going to be as good as our offense is. A step behind, but when our offense is performing, the defense can open things up. There's desperation on the for the opposing offense. They become a bit more predictable. They feel pressure. The quarterbacks feel pressed to make plays. Um, yes, we play a bit conservative and bend but don't break, but we also entice some mistakes on the other side. Um, just some overthrows or just some some pressure in a way that makes quarterbacks uncomfortable, but it just, I think is if our offense is clicking, our defense really, I wish we could dial it up, if you will, you know, get into these third and long situations where we're just ripping them apart. And that doesn't really happen as much as I'd like, but I do sense when our offense is clicking, our defense is inherently better because um, the opposing offense feels more pressed to, to keep up. And that just, that's when the floodgates can come open. Some mistakes can happen, and our defense plays a bit more confident because they know what's coming. I don't see this offense as being one like a Texas Tech 
where their defense just can never keep up with them because of the style they run. Steve Sarkeesian is not, I mean, he'll take the big plays when they happen, obviously, which happened on Saturday in the first half with OU just having breakdowns. But Steve Sarkeesian wants to control the game offensively. He doesn't want to just blow you off the ball and score in two minutes to where his defense has to get right back down onto the fi- right back out onto the field. I don't think that's what he's trying to do. He is trying to be efficient, but at the same time control the game. So yeah, I don't think the defense is as far away as some other people seem to think it is. It's going to take some time to get there, and I think Pete Kwiatkowski is playing the long game here as a DC. But I, I really think eventually it will catch up. Yeah, I, I I would say if those are my two choices, yeah, we're closer to Oklahoma than a Tech situation. You know, the the thing that gives me the most pause is like who can really bring that heat? Like when you get him that third and long, like who can actually bring that heat off the edge? And I think that's why I'd love to see Alfred Collins out there more. I mean, I think in an ideal world, he's a three technique rotating with Ojimo and creating havoc. But I mean, he's the most athletic guy we have on the edge, despite his size. Yeah, he's I think the only guy. Well, I uh, Overshone got one on a blitz, but yeah, he he was the only defensive lineman I think that had a sack against Oklahoma. And yeah, he seems like he's been struggling for a fit, and it seems like you know Kwiatkowski or Bo Davis or the overall coaching staff has been struggling to connect with him or turn him on. But in a defense that is really lacking any playmakers on the edge, especially with Jacoby Jones's injury, I think seeing him you know erupt as a big end that can push the pocket, toss a tackle, and make plays. That that could be the key between this defense being completely ordinary and absolutely starting to step up in the second half of the season to me. Yeah, on third down, your your third down package should not have Jet Bush in there. It should be Alfred Collins, Ojimo, and Tavondre Sweat. But this question is just for Drew Kelson because you two are going to be able to answer this any other week. Where After six weeks into the Steve Sarkeesian program, what are your thoughts on where Texas sits as a program right now under Steve Sarkeesian? You've seen it. You've seen it firsthand under Brown. You saw the, the demise of Brown. You saw there was no really rise of, Steve, of Strong. There was, the, there was the demise of Strong and then the demise, more demise of Strong. And then, then you saw the Tom Herman era. Where, what are your thoughts so far on where Texas sits as a program with Steve Sarkeesian? I, actually, I think we're ahead of schedule. Um, I know people uh, that that doesn't stop me or anybody else from holding them accountable from what we expect to see every week, whether that's from the O-line or the D-line and and tackling and uh, finding ways to get guys open. But I I would say, I mean, if you told me um, we'd we'd be four and two at this point, did I expect the Arkansas loss? No, but the week before Arkansas, when I was looking into Arkansas and seeing what they were made of, it's like, these guys are legit. So I really can't uh, fault where we are. Um, I'm actually excited about the rest of the schedule because sometimes in the Big 12, man, we we get these schedules where it's just it's nothing exciting to, to see kind of on the backside of the schedule or on the other side of the schedule. But, but Baylor's look better than planned. Uh, Iowa State, I mean, we play that one on the road and 
Um, no, they haven't looked as expected, but I mean, they still have a really good coach and they have some confidence playing against us. There's no reason they're going to not show up expecting to play. So uh, West Virginia is on the road and, you know, K-State is going to be K-State. And, and for us this year, these are all games that are winnable games. And, and I expect us to be prepared to win or be in position to, to, to make the plays that win. And that's really how I'm going to judge the coaching. Players are going to make mistakes. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I want to see if our coaches continue to put our players in position to make plays. Um, and there's really been only one game where it's just been egregiously unprepared and out of place. Um, and, and this game really wasn't, you know, against OU wasn't as bad as I thought it was after going back and taking a look. There were guys in position and they just didn't do it. Uh, and then the ball didn't bounce our way. So um, I, I really will say I, I do feel like we're, we're ahead of schedule based on what I expected, but I would like to see some things get cleaned up. Uh, I would like to see us win some games that um, with a clean, clean game plan, uh, guys are in position to, to make the plays necessary, especially on the road, uh, three out of the next five, to, to really wrap up this season and end up back in the Big 12 championship. Okay, so that's the end of the first question to end this off. The last, second question, the last question for you, Drew, while we have you, what was the funniest thing or the craziest thing to happen in the Texas locker room that might not have ever made it out until maybe, you know, a documentary or something. You don't have to name names. You don't have to make, don't have to tell us anything that's going to get anybody in trouble. But what was the craziest thing that ever happened in that locker room? Man, you know, what's funny is we've had one guy in particular um, um, who was, who was in my class and really thought he was a really good player and <laughs> a really good athlete, but he left the program and uh, it's probably, I hadn't even thought about this, but when you asked that question, it just popped in my head. Like, what's one thing? This guy lost two fights to other teammates and transferred. <laughs> um, like fist I, fights? Oh, well, one, one was, you can call it a fist fight. Fists were involved, but he got body slammed a couple times. <laughs> Uh, by guy. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't so uh, much a fist fight as <laughs> uh but you know what's funny is you, if you saw him I mean he was a strong guy you know you just wouldn't have expected but yeah man he he kind of it's it's just funny how the team governs itself and there's a certain level of governance I appreciated about a guy who just didn't want to fall in line and it took a couple times getting dropped and not being happy with, with playing to where he just, you know, he decided to leave. But <laughs> that kind of, I, I don't feel like our leaders on this team have that type of mentality. I mean, Bijan wouldn't body slam anybody. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I do appreciate uh, just kind of looking back, just like, wow, man, like we uh, as a team were not just, I mean, everybody had their thing that, Everybody can push limits to things they should have been doing or not have been doing, but if somebody's completely out of line, he gets addressed. And he got addressed a couple of times and had to leave. And I just I miss those days where you could just address things without, 
you know, anybody in the world having to know about it, the guy leaves. Just the team understands that's why it had to happen. That's called man, um, that's called man shit. <laughs> I miss that because every day there's times at work, there's times throughout life you're just like, why can't you just beat somebody's yeah. ass and just you know? H- like, HR departments really, really frown on man shit. <laughs> gosh, man, just it kind of. You just, I'll never have that kind of environment again. Cause sometimes they get in those fights and you things get in line and it's respect moving forward. And yeah. sometimes guys leave, but you, I, I just miss that part of it. <laughs> well, Drew, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, <laughs> you, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, where, where can we find you or uh, your stuff online or, you know, I don't know what you, what you want to, what you want to push out there. Oh man, I don't, I don't have anything to push, man. I just, I just love hanging out with you guys. Uh, Longhorn, seeing you guys. The Longhorn um, community can find you on Twitter, though. So yes, you can find me that. on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Drew Leroy. Um, I, I only subscribe and have been a part of Inside Texas, um, really for for gosh since two thousand nine now. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's probably the two places you'll you'll find me most frequently. Uh, whether it's commenting or just kind of sometimes I, I read everything. So I yeah. always thought it was pronounced Drucklroy. No, no. <laughs> it, the, Bruce Drew, Drew, Leroy. Bruce Leroy is a nod to uh, that. Oh, yeah. um, to Bruce Leroy. To Bruce Leroy. For, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. From that van, that vanity uh, movie with, uh, God, what was the name of that movie? Jason, you know it too. I know you do. I just can't think of the name of the movie. Uh, the last dragon. The last dragon. Thank you, God. The the, the last dragon. And the last I, dragon. I got that name after getting into a fight with myself, but not in the locker room. It was literally <laughs> a street fight. Oh um, man! So that was that. That was fun. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, inside Texas, I'm there. Uh, but that's usually where you can find me. But yeah, I'm on Twitter too. Awesome. And also, you guys. I mean, if you if you're thinking about subscribing to places, uh, we do have this really cool Patreon to help us manage and you know fund this cool podcast and the other ones we do in fact i want to shout out one of our patreon uh subscribers and Brittany m she is one of our uh lovely people and you can find her on the discord you can find all of us on the discord uh drew you're gonna have to join us on the discord as well it's a wonderful place where you guys can meet other longhorn fans you know commiserate with us as well send me the link man oh wait holy crap uh, and we also have a, a new, a new guy joining us as a, a 995er making us feel legit. Cole, Cole C. I'm not going to put your last name out there. Cole C. Coming in here as well. Uh, we appreciate, you know, Brittany M and Cole C. Helping us out, joining the crew and, and joining us on, uh, the, the, the discord. Really, really cool. Yeah. We'll so we'll shoot y'all the, the link and. Uh, anyways, now the Discord, the is- Discord's fun. I had fun on there last week. We were breaking down the, we were rewatching the uh, uh, TCU Texas game and breaking that down, and just kind of going back and forth rewatching that. So it is, it really is fun. Yeah, uh, I didn't do the the film breakdown this week. Because no, too painful. I was, I was depressed. Too painful. I was, I was going through the five stages. Anyways, y'all, that has been that has been fourth and five. Your Longhorn Nation podcast. Thank y'all for joining us, Jacob. Mr. Dedimore, where can we find you? At Kips underscore big underscore boy on Twitter and Kips Big Boy on the message boards. And Jason, where can we find you? 
Uh, typically changing a filthy diaper, but online at uh, at know the game sixty know on Twitter, and yeah, find you me guys there. can find me crying on Twitter usually, uh, or whining about just random things at uh, at Will Bazer. That's W I L L B A I Z E R, and you guys can find other podcasts like this on the Hornscast channel. Again, join us on Patreon. You'll get your name. You get maybe get a T shirt. And uh, guys can join us on Discord as well. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Hook them.